the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Brian Fromm alongside Ian Simpkins. We're glad you're joining us on this rainy uh, Monday afternoon. I don't think we're ever going to see the sun again, man. Uh, I mean, I doubt it entirely. (laughs) I've reached despondency. I I looked at the long-range weather forecast because my kid plays baseball, and I told him today, I don't think you're playing. (laughs) I think your season is done. Looks like you play indoor (laughs) soccer now. That's what you play. (laughs) Your season is done. We're excited to be with you today. Uh, You can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show or online at 1160hope.com or wherever it is you find your podcast. And you can always text us at 68683, type in CG, followed by the comment. Well, Ian, we're, we're really excited to be uh, joined in studio. That's right. Uh, by Patrick O'Connell. He's going to sit in with us for a while. I'm Woo! not sure he knows what he's getting himself into, but this is going to be fun. <laughs> so, Patrick, thanks for joining us today, man. Thanks for having me, guys. This is awesome. Absolutely. Patrick, let me give you some background, is the director of New Thing, which we'll talk about a little bit more. Uh, after graduating college and a stint in the Army, he went to work in the corporate world, becoming a vice president in an investment firm. But it's during this time he got connected uh, with community and eventually found his way back to God. And this led him to go off and to help start a church. And yep. now he's given his life to church planting That's and right. all sorts of other things. And so I guess I want to start with your story a little bit, just some background. How do you go from a vice president in an <laughs> investment firm to uh, to being in kind of church planting work and church work? That's a big change. It's a big change and it's hilarious, isn't it? It's really funny. <laughs> it's a good story. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, it's uh, very funny that it's my story. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think I think the first part is it's funny that I'm a Christian. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wasn't expecting that, uh, but God got a hold of my life, and then uh, He got a hold of it during a time when I was kind of making my way in the corporate world, yeah. um, and found uh, just for various reasons that wasn't amounting to where I thought things were going to go. Um, I am a very poor poker player, so <laughs> I'm all in, you know. So it's like one hand, and I'm out. And then uh, <laughs> can we can we play poker? Yeah, later? Time, yeah. <laughs> Note to self. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it was kind of this thinking: Hey, if Jesus is real and the gospel is true, and uh, um, uh, the church has been doing what it's been doing for centuries, then I need to be able to give my life to it. Mm. And that led to a conversation with God about eventually planting a church. And uh, it was really after that that I got a taste of what it was to serve others who were planting churches, mm. and that really changed my life. Yeah. But. It's that simple, and it's that it's 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 a God story for sure. That's awesome. incredible. Right, I want to get into the weeds yeah. a little bit there because yeah. I know a bit of the context. Yeah. You you finding your way back back to God really is an emphasis on the word finding, right? It wasn't this uh, like meteoric moment. In fact, uh, your wife was going to church first, right? It was a sort of like uh, you should check this thing out, and you guys were 
you guys were punk rock kids, yeah. right? I think you. Yeah, I think the met, story you tell you met in a mosh pit, we right? We met in a mosh pit. <laughs> we were married. We're married twenty seven years. Wow. Yeah. Hey, Nancy. Uh, and we, uh, Good man. We, uh, uh, three great kids. Yeah, we just were the unlikely people to make it in marriage. And uh, my wife was asked by a neighbor to go to community, mm-hmm. and it's just the power of the ask, you know. So, um, and that really had a profound effect on my wife. But I was. I was going to have nothing to do with it. Yeah, um, I'd grown up a little bit more of a seeker, you know, more of a, a the, the kid who was taking comparative religion in college. And uh, hey, what, what about the Buddhists? They got some really cool stuff. Mm, yeah, to say right. Too. I like their clothing. Uh, yeah, yeah, I like sure. their clothing. Those orange <laughs> garments could go well with my bald head. You know. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it was uh, it was during that time I began to see some things going on in my wife's life mm-hmm. that, and, and even just ways she treated me differently some issues of forgiveness that she went through that God helped her with. Wow. And so we, we became all in at community. That's what I love about our culture at community is uh, it's all about helping people find the way back to God. Yep. And there was a safe place to do that. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, once I was involved, because uh, I'm that kind of guy, we, we got to work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you didn't dip a toe in the waters then. You're like, once I'm in, I'm fully in. Like yeah. I'm... yeah, community's got a culture that... Um, invites people to get in the game. Yeah. Uh, I guess that's the best way to put it. That's good. Uh, they're open-handed. Um, I heard about Jesus and salvation, took hold of that. But then I also heard about the mission of God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that literally uh, ignited my imagination. Wow. And uh, it has been, uh, I, I've never really looked back. And so leadership development, small groups, all coaching, all the things that we do, but then eventually church planting in Kansas City. Uh, which was an amazing experience. Yeah. Bill, tell me more about that. So you you become you come to know Christ, you're growing, you're you're getting involved. That's still a big leap. Like, let's go to Kansas City and help start a church. <laughs> uh, help me through that process. What's that conversation like with your wife and and just internally as you're like, you know what, I, I want to go help start a church down there. Yeah. Community is a church planting church. And mm-hmm. now of course the organization that I lead new thing uh, was a part of that. But there was a group of people leaving community to go to Kansas City. And the dream was to change the spiritual landscape of Kansas City. Mm -hmm. Uh, We didn't go out there to just plant one church. And so, again, a guy like me, I'm like, yes, let's do it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And uh, took the risk. And God showed up. uh, You know, I remember sitting down with Troy, uh, the guy who was going to lead the church. And I'm like, so how much does this church planting gig pay? uh, (laughs) That was question number one. Yeah, because I got a corporate salary, (laughs) you know, benefits. Company car. He just said, well, whatever you could raise. I'm like. (laughs) <laughs> what? <laughs> like so door was, to door? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I've asked my mom for money. Like, she doesn't have it. Yeah. <laughs> so, but um, God was good. And we raised some money and we brought a team of people out there and we planted a church. And mm. I began to coach and train church planners. Fell in love with all that stuff. Uh, went back to Wheaton. Nice. Uh, started getting that theological degree that I, I didn't have. Mm. And, uh, and then about five years ago, Dave Ferguson asked me to come back to Chicago. And we really weren't eager to do that, uh, to mm. tell you the truth. God was doing some amazing things. and uh, But yet, I kind of know now enough uh, in my journey when God's calling me to do something. And it really, for me and God, it comes down to, are you going to be obedient or not? Mm-hmm. It's the only question. There's no gray area. And I'm not saying I have any insight that any, uh, anybody else doesn't have. I'm just saying, I know when God's telling me to do something. And uh, the, the only question I'm having is, am I going to do that? Or yes. not? Yeah. And so we knew that Chicago was it. And so we came back to Chicago and I've been leading new thing ever since. Awesome. So I, I think that's kind of a million dollar question. Just as a pastor, I don't know that a week goes by that somebody doesn't ask me in some way, shape or form. How do I know God's will for my life? I, mm. Like you just kind of touched on it. Like I know 
when God's telling me to do something. So for me, it's a matter of obedience. How, how do you know so clearly? Like, I'm just curious, as Patrick O'Connell, the person, like, take us inside the head a little bit of Patrick O'Connell. Like, how, do you, how do I just know if it's obedience or disobedience and to hear the voice of God? Uh, that's a fair question, man. Um, you know, I do spend a lot of time in Scripture. So I'm a mm. reader. I'm a voracious reader. Uh, the Bible was an easy way for me to like, all right, I'm gonna f- we've got this God who's revealed himself in Scripture. That's awesome. Let's yeah. start there. Let's spend a lot of time in it. Let's be a student of the Bible. Um, I would say prayer life needs to confirm it. Mm. And, and I just have a rule that I got to pray for something for a couple of months, you know, and it doesn't, it's not 60 days, it's right. maybe a month and a half, maybe five months somewhere, you know, but, uh, it's not overnight. Yeah. Uh, if I've got the opportunity. And then the last one is what are the people in my life who I love and respect who are following Jesus have to say about it? Yep. So, um, that for me has worked. I mean, I'm sure there's other ways, but Absolutely. for me, that's, that's fantastic. That's awesome. Well, yeah. we're off to a good start. You're listening to Patrick O'Connell, the director of New Thing. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about New Thing. What is it? Uh, and also kind of your passion to see new churches planted mm-hmm. and uh, what drives that and what do you think the future holds? So excited for this conversation. Uh, you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, as always, at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show, online at 1160hope.com or wherever it is that you get your podcast. Well, Ian and I are excited to be joined in studio by Patrick O'Connell. And again, as a way of reminder, Patrick is the director of the New Thing Network. And I guess I just want to start there. Um, uh, those of us who are pastors are like, oh, yeah, I know what New Thing is. But most people listening have no idea what we're talking about. So maybe if you can help <laughs> people understand what is this new thing that we're talking about. Oh, this is uh, something I'm passionate about for sure. Uh, it comes out of Isaiah. Mm-hmm. And it's this idea that God is not done. He's on the move. Uh, he's a creating God. He's doing more. And uh, he asks us to be a part of it. Mm. So we would say that we're a catalyst for movements of reproducing churches. Mm. What does that mean? That... Churches, church planting in particular, give life to their local communities. Mm. And the more churches we plant, the more people get involved with the mission of God. Now, of course, there are other ways to grow the mission. There are other ways to grow the kingdom. Those are awesome. But New Thing catalyzes that, which means that we are not doctrinally or theologically aligned churches. Those are important characteristics, and and we we should be all about that. But what we're about is being friends on mission. So, uh, and if you think just about the concept of friendship, Jesus calls us friends. Mm -hmm. I think he encourages us to be friends. And then the idea is, hey, friends on mission uh, have a little bit more tolerance for each other. They're a little bit more sacrificial towards each other. Uh, So we are trying to create this collaborative environment where Mm -hmm. these churches can come together. We don't do the planting for them per se, but we catalyze it in and through them because the local church should be planting churches. Mm, yeah. That's my conviction. Yeah. And it's really around four values. Very simple. Relationships are at the core of that. Um, and it, it's about staying connected as friends, being mm. invested with one another in, <clears throat> as friends. It's about reproducing all levels of the church, that mm. every single level of the church needs to be reproduced. Yeah. Mm. The church is an organic, uh, alive system and uh, must be moving forward. And then we talk about sharing resources. By the way, it's all God's resources. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so right. everything from buildings and money to people to discipleship practices, yeah. you name it, whatever could become a kingdom asset, we say, let's, let's share it. And then the last one is residency. And for us, that's a church planter apprentice. And it's this idea that we as the church 
need to be about investing in the next generation of leaders. Mm. It's our responsibility. It's our mandate. And uh, I have very low tolerance for this inability to do this. We have got to invest in this next generation. Mm. Yeah. And I'm not just talking about teaching them the Bible. I'm talking about getting them in the mission. Yeah. Come on. Uh, and so that's all we do at New Thing, and we're doing that globally because God's good. Awesome. Okay, so that sounded like four R's, right? Yeah. Can you just say those four again yeah. for anyone trying, like, yeah. rushing to get a pen and write yeah. those down? They're so good. And this is on newthing.org, of course, but uh, relationships, mm-hmm. and these are in no order of priority, by the way. Got it. Relationships, reproducing, resources, and residency. That's brilliant. Okay, so here's a question that I don't think I've ever even asked you personally. Two things about your story that I, I have no context for. I've never served in the military. And I've never been a VP of a prestigious investment firm. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Right. 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 The day is young. Right. Do you feel like those experiences have equipped you mm. in any capacity to mm. do what you're doing now? Is that, did that uh, involvement change the way that your brain works, the way that you see people or movements or mission or any of that? Like, how, how have you seen those things play into what you're doing now? Yeah, I appreciate that question, man. It's only in hindsight and looking over my life, you know, how, how God's working. Yeah. I call it it's like the Joshua 4 where God's working upstream. He holds the waters, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't know what he was doing. Right. But yeah, when I look at the military, how to be a part of an organization that has a maniacal focus on accomplishing something. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of analogies to make with the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with business, relationship building. Hmm. God uses relationships. And so our best asset are people. Bottom hmm. line, period. Yes, do we need money? Yes, do we need leaders? Sure. But people are the asset of the kingdom. And so I would say in answer to your question, Ian, yes, army and then business been fabulous proving grounds for me. That's fantastic. Hmm. So uh, trying to flesh this out a little bit more, uh, is this, um, it almost sounds like a denomination, but it's not a denomination. I'm sure you guys get that question a lot. How do you answer that? If someone's like, oh, did you start your own, is new thing a denomination? Fair. Um, and I am not a um, church history scholar, mm-hmm. but I would say most denominations arise out of some theological arrangement uh, or commitment. And we, mm-hmm. we certainly are classic evangelicals. Like, yeah. you know, that's, that's true. Um, but I'm going to argue that we are a... Uh, a centered set organization versus a bounded set. And uh, what I mean by that, and this is taking maybe back to math class, you know, in high school days. So, <laughs> sorry. I didn't do well with those. Sorry, yeah, same, I. Same. I had to go back. And, <laughs> trust me. I just, you know, but a centered set, we can be about those four R's mm-hmm. and nobody has to be in control. Whereas in a bounded set, somebody has to be in control. Oh, I'm not in control of new thing. Mm. Like nobody answers to me, right? Or Dave Ferguson and John Ferguson, our founding uh, visionaries. What we are doing is we're making commitments to each other. So unlike a denomination, we are trying to keep the uh, reproducing at the fringe. We are trying to keep it at the local level. Hmm. And nobody's answering to me like, oh, here's how I did my job this year. Interesting. Um, I'm Sign off on it. Yes. No, because we're friends. We should be about the same thing. Hmm. Let's help each other. And new thing will stand by you and support and encourage and help and, and come in alongside you in any way we can. And we do have deliverable platforms, yep, but right. that's really our ethos. So it sounds like that, in a lot of ways, is the engine to not just success in North America, but globally, because those feel like principles that transcend culture and context. Like, when I even hear, I remember it was like my first or second month at Community, I was walking down the hallway, and you were set up somewhere in the cafe, and I just overheard you say, 
well, Nairobi's ready to plant. And I like, <laughs> and I like paused. I was like, where do I work? Like, what <laughs> universe is this that Patrick's having a conversation yeah. with somebody I know in a different state about Nairobi yeah, being yeah. ready to plant? And like, like, do you find that like having that be your center, your center ethos has helped transcend some of maybe the more uh, global barriers that other church plant networks have had? Totally. Really? Yeah, I, I think um, it's a great question. Uh, if you think about the gospel and the history of the church and the history of the, the movement of Jesus or the mission of Jesus, it does transcend cultures. Mm. So why? Well, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why, um, but and obviously we're not going to get into them today, but I do think that the church in its best expression is collaborative mm. in nature and that the more that we are collaborative, uh, and collaborate together, the more glory God gets. Mm. And so anything that prevents me from collaborating with my brothers and sisters in Christ, I probably should just check myself yeah. <laughs> and just ask, is this tradition mm. or is this theology? That's great. Right? Yeah. Is this something that I was just brought up to think is right? Because if you think about the church in Nairobi, Kenya, or the church in Laos, or the church in Sri Lanka, after we, you know, those terrible bombings. Yeah, right. Um, those churches look and feel and taste different, but yep. Jesus is still mm. the head of those churches. That's good. And we'd rather focus on that piece of it and kind of be okay with let's focus on the majors and the minors. Yeah. It's okay if we have some differences. Yeah, let's no just kidding. be friends and talk through them. That's so good. Do you think that's what stops us from being willing to collaborate? It's more of a focus on the minors, it's more what makes us different than. What is it that unifies? Because when I hear you, I'm like, collaboration sounds wonderful, but then you look across the landscape and there's mm. not a lot of collaborating going on. So I wonder what you think stops us from being more open to collaboration. Yeah, I think uh, we forget that collaboration is a skill set, mm. and we just don't enter into collaboration and still remain uh, in the mindset we entered into collaboration. Yeah. Collaboration requires that I sacrifice and give up some elements of what I'm trying to do so that I can help you do what, what God's trying to do through that's you. That's good. Yeah. That's the challenge of collaboration. Absolutely. Well, that's, that's good stuff. Let's keep them. Yeah. Let's the keep deal. them. We're going to keep going into the next segment. We're excited to be joined by Patrick O'Connell. Coming up next, we're going to keep talking about the church and keep talking about new thing and all sorts uh, of other things. So you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. We're glad that you're joining us on this rainy Monday afternoon. And we are uh, really excited to continue to be joined by Patrick O'Connell. Patrick is the director of New Thing. And you can learn more about New Thing at newthing.org. That's newthing.org. Yeah, Patrick, you were just talking about the uh, significance of collaboration in your model. And I know that. I can only assume somebody listening might be thinking, did he just say that our theological distinctions aren't important or mm -hmm. that we shouldn't care about doctrine? And I know that you're not saying that at all, but would you speak to some of that rub? Because I feel like sometimes that very much is the barrier to true collaboration because mm -hmm. we're like, oh, they, they're a pipe organ church and we're a drums and electric guitar <laughs> church. We could never – like you're not saying throw all distinctions out the window or even all tradition out the window, that those things don't need to be – a barrier to collaboration. Could you could you talk to that a little bit? Yeah, not a bit. And uh, tradition is good. Mission is better. That's Ooh. all I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> Light up the text line. <laughs> That's so so um, because I do believe. If, if let's just talk about the gospels. If you mm -hmm. go back to the gospels, which I I do, and I imagine many listeners do. Um, they're easiest to read, by the way. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yeah, no kidding. Don't start so in Leviticus. Right. Right. Um, 
But if you look at what Jesus is trying to accomplish, he's trying to start something. And his intent is that this thing that he's starting, uh, of course, theologians can speak into this, but this thing that he's starting is going to continue beyond him. Well, how does he do that? He invests in a very small group of individuals and basically says, you're going to have to figure this out. Hmm. And he doesn't give them a whole lot to go on. Power of the Spirit, prayer, Mm. Uh, grow closer to the fire. I mean, mm. so when, when I, uh, about mm. a year ago, I was feeling, you know, new things, an awesome organization, but like all of us, I want my life to matter and I want to give it to something. And I want to make sure that I'm doing all I can to motivate, inspire, equip the church to collaborate, to grow the kingdom of God through church planting. So I went back to the gospels and I said, all right, what is Jesus actually saying to do yeah. in this concept of collaboration? And I came to three things. Uh, there's many more than these, but these are the three essentials as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, number one is the great commission of Matthew 28. Mm. It's clear. Now, Jesus does say, go make disciples and baptize. I get that. But we're just going to talk and say more churches will yeah. do those things, yes. right? right? So the great commission. The second one is the great commandment. Mm. You know, our posture, our ethos needs to be the people of love. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, We'll just leave it at that. So let's go to Mark 12. <laughs> let's not. No, let's not <laughs> we are to be uh, the witnesses of God's love in yeah, the world. That's right. Um, and I, that's, by the way, these are commandments. These aren't suggestions. Yeah. These aren't, these are, these are, I'm asking you, I'm telling you to go do these. In yes. Yeah, yeah. yes. And then the last one is out of John 17. Mm-hmm. And then Paul picks it up in 1 Corinthians 12. And I've just, I just started calling it the great collaboration. Mm-hmm. And Jesus, I'm paraphrasing here, basically says, your unity will be a witness to the world. That's right. And then I started thinking about my old punk rock days and my, mm. my old days as a non-believer. And I'll tell you what, one of the biggest challenges I had with the church was y'all aren't on the same page. Mm. You don't even seem to like each other. You don't even seem to like right. each other. This yeah. guy's calling this guy this and that. And, right. and I'm sure there's all good reasons for it. But that's where I get back to the mission. The mission is what matters. The yeah. mission gives life. Not theology. If I think about the New Testament, I love the New Testament. I am a theologian myself, yeah. but the, the, the New Testament is a missional document. Mm. It's written as Paul and others are on the move. They're writing about the church. They're writing about this mission. They didn't stop and go back to Jerusalem and right. say, all right, let's, let's get all the rules down. Yeah. <laughs> So Jesus yeah. even says, right, even greater things, things you, you will, will do. learn. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah right. do. <laughs> Go do them. Right, right. Well said. Yeah. yeah. So that's where collaboration comes from. Hmm. Cool. I want to keep pushing in on this collaboration one. Why do you think we're all pastors? And uh, pastors, I've told this to someone the other day, and they were really surprised by this. I said, we're the most competitive people you know, but we tend to be competitive with each other. Mm. It's like, how big's your church versus mine? It's not, oh, how can we work together to conquer this? And so I'm wondering how you fight... A, I'm wondering why you think that is. Because now, even when I say it, it sounds weird, right? That we're (laughs) competitive with each other and like the size of our church when the grand scheme of things doesn't really matter. And then I'm wondering how you fight that in new things. I'm guessing there's probably a little bit of competitiveness that comes out even within there. And so why do we think churches do that? Why do we think pastors do that? And then how do you fight that in your organization? Yeah, it's a great question. And uh, what I would bring it back to is... um, it's about the kingdom, not our castles. Mm. Now you're asking the why question. Um, I think part of the why question is we've forgotten that along the way. Um, I think there's a little bit of desert mentality in uh, the body uh, that 
seems to believe it's responsible for doing everything and forgets that the power of the Holy Spirit is at work in and through us. Yeah. And we just don't trust God enough. So we're going to we're going to control it. We're going to label it. We're going to market it. We're going to make sure. And I, I'm not I'm not criticizing any of those things. Yeah. Right. I do all those things. Totally. Same. But you're asking a very important question. Um, but at the end of the day, in my heart of hearts, I must submit my castle to the kingdom. Mm. If not, I'm, I'm a fake. Yeah. I'm just, I'm, I, I'm not true to what this thing is all about. Yeah. And so I think we struggle with that even culturally. Mm. We live in the United States of America. You're, you, you know, you're yes. aware of that. <laughs> I love our country, yeah. but we do have an individualistic culture. Yeah. What I mean by that is only in contrast or in comparison to other cultures. Mm. If you go to Africa or parts of Asia, you find much more communal cultures. Yeah. So it's interesting when I'm doing new thing trainings in other countries, um, their first response, unlike the American pastors, and I love you guys, uh, <laughs> unlike the American pastor, is how do we do this together? That's good. Because in their, uh, in, in their um, uh, ethos, they don't have all the resources that we might have. They have different strengths and weaknesses. Right. And so I think just in the United States, what we've got to do is just be responsible to our sense of individualism that we bring to the church hmm. and just make sure that we continue to submit ourselves hmm. to the kingdom and listen, the greatest churches in the world will be gone one day yep. and the oh, kingdom wow. will endure. That's, good. That's really good. I, so that reminded me of a conversation. One of the things that I love about just knowing you as a friend and having you local and, and maybe we'll get to this later. You're also pastoring one of our locations right now, which this segment might as well just be brought to you by caffeine. I don't know how, I don't know, I don't know how you do it, man. But I remember, so Charles and Chero did a residency with yeah. us, and we were writing a talk together. And that's again, we yeah. write collaboratively. I love that about yeah. our, our our church and culture. And we were debating about whether or not to to go into this topic of power, God's power. People mm-hmm. were feeling kind of wishy washy. Mm-hmm. And Charles says that is so strange to me yeah. that you guys are waffling on that. He said, and then I'll never forget this. He said. We talk about power constantly because we always feel so powerless. And in America, you guys talk about presence because you feel so alone. Wow. And I thought, what an insight. And I thought about the last 10 sermons I gave. I'm always talking about presence because yeah. of this isolation, because of this tendency towards individualism. How, how do we get better at that? Because plenty of people listening aren't church planners or not pastors. Just as Christ followers, how, how do we come out of hiding a little bit and actually engage one another in a collaborative sense to find a way forward? Yeah. It's a fantastic question. I think we got to wake up a little bit and realize, and you know, our great friend Dave Ferguson has got this idea of, um, and I think he's taken it from others, but Dave gets the credit. <laughs> um, but my fruit grows on other people's trees, yeah. Yeah. and that I wake up every day to be a hero maker. And um, I think we've just got more to wrestle with in the American church mm-hmm. because maybe we are resourced. We're not bad. I'm not making any right. criticism here. But I think God's calling us to uh, submit a little bit more in that way. Mm. And that's, that's good for spiritual growth. Yeah, I think that's a positive. Yeah. But I think that's one of the biggest reasons. And then, you know, as the culture changes and moves against the church, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to constantly p- try to pull us back into the desert, if yeah, you will. That's good. And it's going to be like this, this um, scarcity mentality rather than this abundance mentality. That's really we got to beat that. Yeah, yeah no absolutely. kidding. No kidding, man. We're excited to be joined by Patrick O'Connell. Again, he's the director of New Thing. You can find out more at newthing.org. And when we come back, we're going to talk some more about church planting and more so about the mission of the church and uh, what we all see going on kind of in our communities and our area. So that's what's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life.
Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You can always find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. You can text us any of your questions, comments, uh, just reactions to the people we've been talking to. You can do that at 68683. That's 68683. Type in CG and whatever uh, you want to share with us is good. Well, we're going to be share. Uh, we're going to spend some time, a little bit more time, with Patrick O'Connell. Uh, Patrick, thank you so much for spending so much time with us. This has been a lot of fun. My privilege. The time, the time has flown by. It by really the way, man. I love, I love hearing your they, heart. They I call me the king here. of Funitas. <laughs> <laughs> Laid back and fun. Calls <laughs> you that? Don't tell him. Yep. <laughs> His wife is texting now. Nobody. <laughs> It's all my new approach to life. Yeah, that's good. I like it. You're, it. you're very zen right yeah, now. Right, right. It's the old speak it into existence, yeah, and it is right. true. Patrick is the director of New Thing. Global director, global by the way. Yeah. Global director of New Thing. And if you want to find out more, we've been talking about what New Thing is. You can find it on the podcast if you missed it. But you can go to newthing.org. That's newthing.org. And Patrick... Uh, as we have a couple more minutes together, just how can people get involved? What does even getting involved look like hmm. uh, in New Thing? That's a great question. Um, so what we've tried to do over the last couple of years was create these platforms for collaboration. So uh, not to get into too much of the weeds, but I could if you're interested. <laughs> we, um, we try to help churches move from um, one to five. I don't know if your listeners are familiar with the Exponential Conference, uh, but level one, two, three, four, five. We know that level five is movement. We're trying to help churches get there. Mm. So what does it take to get to movement? Well, it means that we got to learn how to reproduce at the micro level. Uh, we got to reproduce small groups. Yeah. We got to reproduce artists. We got to reproduce drummers. I mean, everybody needs drummers, <laughs> yes. right? We need that one. Uh, um, I'm a drummer. If anyone listening, okay, good, 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 good. <laughs> then you have to apprentice another drummer. What are you doing nah, here? I'm very convicted. Very convicted. <laughs> I'd like to learn the drums. <laughs> <laughs> Ian is going to start an yeah. apprenticeship with drumming. I love it. Um, but then, in all seriousness, that will allow us to reproduce at the macro. Mm. So the easiest way to get in touch with us is newthing.org. Uh, we've got a, a, a form that you could fill out. We come alongside churches. Uh, very important to understand that we're not asking you to change families. We're not asking you to leave your family. We're not asking you to leave your denominational tribe. It's just about this idea of let's come together mm-hmm. in the spirit of the mission around these four values mm. and align ourselves together to accomplish more together, which, by the way, is the nature of partnership. Yeah. That's, right. what partner, that's the definition of partnership is helping each other do what we couldn't do on our own. Yes. And so that's what we do. That's so good. All right, so I, I think maybe the level stuff might be new to a lot of people. Okay. Would you give us just a brief overview of one through five and h- how you see that shifting? Because I think we've talked uh, in other segments about most are at level three, which I think is um, that's kind of the plateauing area. Yes, that's- yeah, kind of. The churches are moving there. Yeah, very quickly. This is work done by the exponential church mm-hmm. planning conferences, and so maybe you can share the link with your viewers. Um, but um, what they've determined is, and these are just rough uh, rough segments here. Um, 80% of churches in the United States are level one or two. Now, level one is a church that is in decline, hmm. and level two is a church that is plateaued. Wow. Level three, about 16% of the churches in the United States are churches that are growing. Wow. And then level four, it's about four to 5%. And in the West, and I say the United States, Western Europe, uh, the Western cultures, uh, we have zero statistical church planting movements. There are anomalies, hmm. um, but you would have to go to Africa or the East to find true church planting movements as defined by theologians and missiologists. No kidding. So what we're trying to do is help more churches achieve 
uh, higher levels of reproducing yeah. uh, because healthy things reproduce. And by the way, it's not to cast judgment on churches yeah. that aren't reproducing. It's just to acknowledge that the church has a natural life cycle. Yes. And so we've created these environments we call one catalyst community we call one one of my favorite acronyms of all time larn <laughs> l a r n right l a r n launching a reproducing network and catalyst community and larn along with a third we call it the multiplying church practicum all these mm. are on our website yep. um our ways that churches could be a part of what we're up to yeah. and then in chicago here we've got uh, new thing networks in chicago so if you're a local chicago church we'd love to talk to you about that and then uh at exponential at the yellow box in november we will have our new thing gathering the day mm. before which is november 4th and again more information on our website about that yeah. well let me tee one up for you here yeah. i'm just going to tee one up and let you just <laughs> whack it uh so especially around here, we hear a lot of bad things about churches, right? Um, we all know the names, but just a lot of stuff. It's literally on the front page of our newspapers right now. Uh, so there's a lot of beat down about local churches. There's also a lot of beat down. You know, you read this survey and less people are going to church. You read this. Yet when I hear you, you're very hopeful about the church and the future of the church. Uh, so where does that hope come from? Am I right? Are you hopeful for the, lo- for the local church going forward? And what gives you that hope? Uh, it's a great question. Uh, of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, the mission gives me hope. Mm-hmm. This mission of 2,000 years, this mission that Jesus birthed uh, with the power of the Holy Spirit. As far as I can tell, the Holy Spirit's still alive and working. <laughs> yes. um, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, is there, are there challenges in the church? Of course. Mm-hmm. Our task is always to contextualize the gospel. Mm-hmm. It must be an ongoing uh, challenge for us to face. But we shouldn't become despondent mm-hmm. or become... Um, uh, become uh, dependent on our systems and our structures to yeah. do that. We should leave that to God. Now, I'm not trying to be simplistic about it either. Um, I would say one of the reasons people don't go to church is um, they are very smart. Mm. You know, people who uh, are spiritually seeking are also very smart people. And I think, frankly, and this is my own story speaking as well, we have sometimes, in a good effort to help them, but in a good effort, we have made Jesus very small. Mm. And hey, come to church, give a little, sing a little, buy a couple of T-shirts, maybe read your Bible. You're good to go. Yep. Mm. That's not what Jesus has set out to right, do. Right. And I would say, let's ask people to follow something more profound. Let's ask them to encounter Jesus in our churches, whatever mm. that looks like. That's good. Because when people encounter Jesus, it's going to change their lives. Yeah. You know, smoke machines and drum machines and all that are awesome. I'm so glad we have them. But we <laughs> need to help people experience Jesus in yeah. profound and intimate ways. That's why the beauty of the local church, because we need diverse expressions of that. See, I hope I answered your question. Uh, so great. Yes, this, you on, honestly, if I could just get sappy yeah. on air, that's one of the things I love about you, because you have this incredible capacity to not only be this big picture you're, you're, you think strategy, you think mission, but you also have the heart of a pastor. I really think I that you do, and I've seen that firsthand. And one of the things that Brian and I have discovered with the show is that uh, radio, for, for whatever reason, for a lot of people, is sort of like a front door. They're not ready to go to church yet. Maybe they've left church. They've been burned, and radio is like a safe place to maybe dip a toe back in those waters. And so we've talked global. We've talked church planning. We've talked mm-hmm. conferences. In the last minute and a half or so, can we just get— Pastor Patrick, yeah. and just offer some encouragement, some hope, yeah. some um, just some life, maybe in some tired bones of people that are like, "Do I even give this church thing another shot?" Mm. Yeah, 
It's so well said, man. I remember even being in the Army and listening uh, to Christian radio way back in the day. Now, I hated it, but, <laughs> um, but, but God was using it and yeah. planted seeds. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say for those of you who are challenged by the church, um, I, I wouldn't let anything get in the way of Jesus. And mm. uh, let yourself experience Jesus in the local church mm. in ways that are uh, transformative to you. Mm. Uh, and I'm not arguing to make it up. I am saying don't let the traditions and the doctrines and the, um, the ecclesiology, as we say, of the church get in your way of a spiritual relationship. That's good. And I would say that, like all of us, human beings, we, we just want a couple of things. We want to belong. Uh, we want to be known. Yeah. And no better place and no better man to do that than Jesus yeah. and the Holy Spirit and God. I mean, that's down to it. And that's I'm so just good. speaking from personal experience. That's Absolutely. so good, man. Well, Patrick, thank you so much for coming no, in. This won't be the last time. If you'll Not come back, we'll do Please. it again. This has been great. And uh, we're thankful for the time. Again, you've been listening to Patrick O'Connell, the director of New Thing. You can find out more at newthing.org. That's newthing.org. Well, you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. As always, you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. You can text us at 68683, or you can find old podcasts wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Uh, well, every Monday, this has become our, our only show tradition that we have, our recurring guest. We have <laughs> welcomed Dallas Jenkins into the studio for what we are calling Media Monday. Thanks for coming back, man. That's the first time I've heard that uh, introduction, the the common good. Uh, <laughs> I just heard your lower register. I think you should do the voiceover, no, the actually, for to- one of these. The dulcet tones of the common good, <laughs> greeting you every day. That was, that was beautiful. There's, there's candles everywhere. Yeah, I, I held hands with you during this thing. It was, it was that precious. part is true. It's, that is true. <laughs> it's ringtones everywhere. Yes. yes. As a reminder, Dallas... Uh, uh, has all sorts of movies and stuff out there, but re- currently The Chosen, thechosen.tv is where you can find episodes that have just recently released. That's thechosen.tv. Before we jump into Avengers and stuff, just curious on a week-by-week basis, how's The Chosen going? Are you happy with the response you're getting? Uh, lots of people downloading and watching. How's The Chosen going? Yeah, it's been uh, overwhelming, actually. Um yeah, the trailer is over 10 million views, which is Whoa. cool. We, didn't, we yeah. didn't spend any money for that; just put it out there. So that's seriously, cool. yeah. The people who've watched the episodes have uh, have been responding at, a, at an incredible rate. And wow. we we just uh, I what I didn't expect was I think we may have mentioned this last week. I didn't expect how many parents would would say their kids were loving it. Yeah, mm. um, I got a text from, and then I got a text from a cousin who works at a juvenile detention facility who showed episode one to the kids who normally tune out all the Jesus stuff. And he said they were just absolutely transfixed. And so wow. it seems to be crossing age lines and 
all that. So that's been really cool to see. So that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. So we're uh, and I'm writing writing the next four episodes now. So it's been pretty cool. Outstanding. Well, speaking of media, uh, Avengers took over the but that and Game of Thrones, two things I didn't watch this weekend. <laughs> yeah, when you say how's the chosen doing, and then we go into the <laughs> Avengers. Speaking uh, of media, not as well as the Avengers, I'll, I'll admit that. We, were, you, were you feeling good? Yeah. It's about to go away. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. It's like like how many people go to your church compared to Joel Osteen's yeah, church? Right. How's it going? <laughs> So Speaking many of successful churches. <laughs> How good are you at basketball compared to LeBron? Yeah. All right, yes. well. So the stats are coming out, and it's just crazy. Worldwide Avengers this weekend made one over $1.2 billion, and just number one rank everywhere. Everybody's seeing this movie. So, A, I think you said you saw it. So what did you think of it, and did it surprise you? Uh, we all knew that it would do phenomenally, but did it surprise you at all that it did this well? Yeah, this is a little bigger than, I mean, this is, this is insane. Yeah. I mean, this, yeah, is, this right. is ridiculous. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I did see the movie. My family went and saw it and uh, really liked it a lot. My, my, my son, I have an 18-year-old who's a big nerd um, <laughs> and a big Marvel nerd. And uh, he loved it. Uh, I mean, and he was like cheering during the during the during the movie and then we'd lean over. oh yeah yeah and we'd, and then we'd awesome. learn over and go why are you cheering what because he recognizes all the little easter eggs and stuff like that yeah. that uh so, some character <laughs> that i didn't recognize but but uh yeah it's it was really interesting and um i think that it's again it's one of those shows that unites people uh, it's pg-13 so it's not necessarily for everybody yeah. right I, I i don't necessarily recommend it for kids under certain ages because there's some swears in it as we say <laughs> some swears yeah um <laughs> But uh, but yeah, it's it's been in- incredible, and I think you know we've talked about this off the air. I think it's always any time that something is this cr- mass culture successful, yes, Christians indeed. should open their eyes and go, huh? Yeah. What are they doing? What 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 are they? What what what, what secret have they learned right. to reach this many people yeah. all at once on a weekend? Which is what, of course, every church in America is trying to do: is get a yeah. bunch of people totally. to come on a weekend and sit in a room for couple hours you know a couple hours so, ours is a tight 60 minutes that is a... <laughs> well i've been to a few uh non-white churches that are longer than the avengers he went average. <laughs> he went average. So, yeah. all right that's a great segue though because uh i do think there's usually one of two responses one is what you mentioned the church says what can we learn from mm. and then sometimes unfortunately it's the church's response to just bury its head in the sand like we're gonna do everything the opposite of them because right. Uh, church is about being miserable, and if people like it, then Jesus can't be in it, right? That feels like that was even his criticism or the criticism of Jesus. Like, that can't be the Messiah. People enjoy him. Like, that, <laughs> it just felt odd. Right. I, I'm curious about the first one. How, in what ways do you think that the church, Big C Church, or leaders, or just Christ followers, what can we learn from this massive success of a Marvel movie? Well, there's a couple things. Number one is the power of story. Yeah. Uh, and Jesus knew that. We That's a cliche, but Jesus told stories. Uh, it's how he gave truth. Hmm. Uh, more often than not was by telling a story. And the Avengers, uh, the, the Marvel universe that's been created is probably the greatest assembly of stories ever created in the media world. Wow. I mean, there's been 22 films so far. Yeah, that's nuts. Uh, wow. In the last 10 years. And uh, it's... And all of the films, the vast majority of the films have been good. Yeah. Like have been enjoyable to watch. I've seen all of them. I've, I've enjoyed myself and in, in most of them. So as a director, you're saying that the art itself actually is quality. Oh, for sure. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I'm sure they're happy to hear me say that. <laughs> that Dallas Jenkins in Elgin, Illinois approves of the, of the production quality the of the up. Avengers. Uh, they're coming a long way. I'll say that. Uh, um, There's so, potential. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, uh, so I think, 
the the storytelling is a huge deal mm-hmm. and the the and i think a lot of the avengers movies obviously are are good parables they're mm-hmm. they're metaphors in many ways because obviously they're not real superheroes aren't real in in, in this world mm-hmm. um but the way that they tell the stories, the twists and turns, the ups and downs, the beginning, middle, and end, it all follows the general technique techniques of, of good storytelling, mm. uh, what we call the three-act structure um, that Aristotle, you know, talked about, yes. you know, hundreds and hundreds of years yeah. ago. Uh, and so I think pastors have something to learn from that. Yes. Yeah. Again, the truth of what you're saying, the message of the gospel never changes, but sometimes the delivery method changes, sometimes the way that we... Um, we tell the story can 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 be altered based on our listener, mm. uh, and that is what some people mistake as being seeker friendly. But other times, that's just good instruction, good teaching. Yeah. Right? Teachers are always learning. You know, when they teach their students, um, it's not it's not always necessarily what you say; it's what people hear. Yeah. Mm. So that doesn't mean the message changes, but how you deliver it can totally. change. And I yeah. think w- the number one we can learn from some of these amazing pieces of media. Uh, that the, the the art of storytelling, yeah. and I think any good preacher, any good evangelist, any good Christian who who's sharing the gospel should study storytelling. Yes, because uh, Jesus certainly did, yeah. and Jesus certainly told the stories uh, and and used metaphor and used uh, examples uh, from at that time what would have been considered pop culture. Hmm. Uh, used references that people recognized, right? Uh, and so that's that's significant. Yeah. And then of course the the fact that people long to gather together yeah. uh, in a in a room and experience this together. Uh, people are saying that, yeah, we're starting to, get, uh, movie theaters are starting to become a thing of the past. Uh, everyone's starting to watch their entertainment at home. But this, that's not totally true yet. There's still stories and there's still mm, opportunities yeah. that people do want to see in a mass, uh, in a mass way. So I think that that's another thing that we don't want to give up on is that church is a place for people to gather, for yeah. people to fellowship. Yeah. And whatever it is that they're doing, they're doing it well. Many times they're doing it better than we are. And so Mm. there's just ways to learn. Now, again, I want to be clear. I'm not saying, and I know you guys aren't saying, well, we need to water down the message to appeal to people. and We need to put it in a nice glitzy package. Right. That's not the case. But uh, clearly, whenever someone is doing something that, and again, this is global. This is $1.2 million globally. There was over $800 million outside the United States came in. So this is cross-cultural. Yep. And so uh, that's something that, you know, I, as a director and a storyteller, especially making a show about Jesus, try to learn as well. I'm looking, learning marketing techniques, learning storytelling techniques to make sure that people across the world are enjoying this. Mm. Yeah. Is it hard for you to sit in a movie theater and just enjoy a movie? Sometimes as a pastor, I have a hard mm. time listening to other preachers. I just critique them mm. and I just do that. Can you sit there with your family and just enjoy a movie or is it almost like homework for you and you're kind of trying to learn? What's it like for you in a movie theater? It's a little bit of both, but I think the reason that I make movies is is because I love movies. The reason I make television is because I love it. And Mm. so loving it means you really want to get lost in it. So I I enjoy it like everybody else. But yeah, sometimes, um, you know, I, I think, again, if I'm doing my job, I'm trying to learn. Yeah. So especially from something good, but even something bad, I'm trying to learn what mistakes yeah, I'm yeah, right. So, again, I think it's, again, not, not just for me as a filmmaker. I think for all of us as Christians, anytime we see something that's successful, we should be trying to learn from it in some yeah. way. Always thinking strategically about how we can be telling stories uh, of the gospel as yeah. well as they're telling their stories. That's, that's awesome. Good. Well, we are listening to Media Mondays at Catching On. 
you think feel like it's going good? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I haven't seen the hashtag trending yet, but we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> Avengers, hashtag Game of Thrones, and Media Monday. There it is. You can find Dallas Jenkins on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> nope. No, <laughs> you can't. You can actually can't. <laughs> if you want to get that joke, go to the podcast from last week's Media Monday. <laughs> yes. so, we're excited that Dallas Jenkins is joining us, and he's going to stay here with us for another segment as we continue to talk about media and how do we as Christians interact with pop culture and the things uh, going on around us. That is on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. We're excited that you're joining us today. And we are excited to be joined again, as we are every Monday, by Dallas Jenkins. Uh, talking about things like media and also uh, his new show called The Chosen.tv, which he hasn't asked us to do this, but I would tell people <laughs> just from myself, having watched it, uh, it's really good. Yeah. So you should watch it. Go it's, to The it's Chosen. Not, it's not called The Chosen.tv. <laughs> It's called The Chosen. The website is TheChosen.tv. <laughs> that would be a very odd title such a for a Jesus, Jesus film. It would be awesome. It's like uh, those churches with it in there. Yeah, that's good. Yes. Like Jesus no. is wearing his own branded t-shirt and all the scenes. Yes. Just visit me at TheChosen.tv. So hashtag, <laughs> hashtag parables. Uh, no, re- rewind. You should watch The Chosen <laughs> yes. at TheChosen.tv. Did you just say <laughs> rewind out loud? Yes, rewind, everybody. If you're listening on a cassette deck right now, rewind the podcast. <laughs> This is what I get for trying to be nice. <laughs> trying to be nice. So anyway, we're excited. We spent the beginning talking about Avengers, and we love to get together with Dallas and talk about all things media uh, here each Monday. So one of the things that I've noticed, and uh, I got, I'm a little embarrassed to admit this, but like you, the videos are getting millions of views now at this point, mm-hmm. and when I kind of scroll through the comments, I'm always like, oh, I, I kind of know this guy now. Like it feels, <laughs> it feels really cool though to see people that I've respected in the faith community. Like resharing the trailer, resharing the links, like, oh, holy cow, how do they even know each other? Right. Which maybe they don't. But one of the things that I find so interesting is um, the comment section, like anything. Yep. And it's way, it's way more entertaining when it's not my comment section. Right. I'll be honest, I'm kind of eavesdropping on your comment section. And the vast majority is all sorts of praise. Like, holy cow, all the stuff you were saying, like, my kids actually enjoy it. Or right. somebody that, you know, it's helped me talk to my neighbors. Like, sure. it's mostly complimentary, but you can never get away from the trolls, right? right? And one of the ones that I saw last night kind of scrolling through, I think it was one of the trailers, uh, it was a guy ca- kind of accusing you all of adding to the biblical text and kind of doubled down. You responded, and then right. maybe somebody else on your team responded, and it kind of doubled down, and other people started joining Sort of quote his side, like, yeah, you are you are adding to the Bible. What do you th- who do you think you are? Like, right. how do you how do you process feedback like that, and how do you answer accusations like that when yeah. when they come up? So there's two levels of it. One is mm. so he's responding to we re- on our Facebook page, uh, which is you just look up the chosen on Facebook. We're easy to find. Um, we we posted a scene from episode three where Jesus is talking to a group of children, and it's not a moment that's in scripture. Um, but we, many of the things Jesus says in the scene are from Scripture, or at least similar to things that he said in Scripture. Mm-hmm. And someone was saying, uh, this is not scriptural, therefore it's wrong, <laughs> therefore you shouldn't, uh, you know, you shouldn't do this. You're adding to the Bible, and, and the book of Revelation says not to do that. So that that's one thing, which is just that, that, that quote-unquote controversy of the fact that our yeah. show doesn't, it, it includes more things than are just 
mentioned in Scripture. So that one is a relatively easy one to respond to just because we're not writing a new gospel. Right. Um, we're not Scripture. We're not claiming to be Scripture. We Our show is designed to point people towards Scripture and to love Scripture even more. And we believe that adding backstory and adding getting you to connect with these people even more, people like Simon and Matthew, even more enhances that moment in Scripture when they encounter Jesus. And we've heard that over and over from people who've appreciated that. But people do get uncomfortable when you start to speculate on what maybe wasn't included in Scripture. And Mm -hmm. I get that, and I take that very seriously. And we have biblical consultants and experts uh, working on the show who read the scripts and make sure that everything is within the the intention of Scripture and with what you can glean from the the narrative. But you guys are pastors. I'm sure you have preached sermons about stories from the Gospels. And sometimes you'll say, so, you know, what, what, what must this, what must Simon have been thinking here? Yeah. And then you go into biblical and historical context. You say, now remember guys, at this time, the Romans were this and taxes were this and uh-huh. things that aren't necessarily listed in scripture. So scripture isn't the only document that can exist that captures the history of that time. Yeah. And so I always find it unfair that people might think that it's okay to do, a, you know, a, a, the story of George Washington or make a movie about Abraham Lincoln, but not about <laughs> Simon Peter, hmm. uh, because uh, the only thing that they ever did is, is, is in Scripture. And anything that's not in Scripture didn't happen. Hmm. Uh, so that's a little bit weird. But <laughs> to, to the other point, which is how do you handle—and I, I would say—and you were, you were using lighthearted term, but saying the, the trolls. I don't think that everyone who criticizes us is necessarily yeah, I agree. a troll. I agree. Uh, trolls I usually consider to be people who are anonymous or people who are saying things clearly to just cause dissension or they're saying things that are untrue uh, and they have no desire to try to correct the record even when you point it out. Got it. But uh, I do respond on our Facebook page uh, to most comments because I, it's not necessarily for the person who made the comment. And I think it's good for us to remember this even on our own personal f- Facebook mm-hmm. pages or mm. whatever is that when someone is criticizing you or arguing, many times there's no chance to change their mind. Right. But you don't necessarily respond for their point, for, for them. You respond for the people who are reading. Mm. And so when you, uh, Ian and Brian, are on maybe, if you guys ever pipe in on your own Facebook pages or on your church's Facebook pages, I think the lesson to remember is the person that you're talking to specifically is unlikely to change their mind. But there are people who read. Yeah. And there are people who are looking to see how you respond. Yeah. Are you kind? Are you respectful? Uh, do That's you stick good. to your guns, which is good, too? Sometimes they want to see a backbone. Mm-hmm. Um, you can actually help instruct people on how to respond by how you respond. That's good. That's and good. so it's a good opportunity for a pastor, especially, or for a Christian to uh, who's, who's not a pastor, just a layperson, to you know, live by example, not only in person, but on the internet and on social media. Mm. And you are an example. You are a witness by how you respond to, quote unquote, the trolls. And so I think that's got its own value. And then, again, even the points that you are making are for the sake of the readers, because there are some people who are on the fence about an issue. Right. So someone may be liking The Chosen, but going, gosh, I wonder what Dallas thinks about the fact that he's adding to Scripture. Is he, yeah. or is, is he, is, is this, this must be, this is making me maybe a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, I liked it, but I'm not sure. What does he have to say mm. about it? And I think it's good for him to see me respond to this person in a respectful way, making cogent points, uh, and, and then sometimes being funny and sometimes pushing back a little bit, some, showing a personality, yeah. showing that we're not a marketing company that just got canned responses. I think that's right. always good, too. So. That's good. I think that's always important. That's really good. So people might not re- uh, realize this, but your dad was a well-known Christian author, wrote the Left Behind series and yes. other things. How much did you learn from him? How much that's y- a, you had a dad in the limelight? I'm yes. wondering mm. what that was like for you. That's a great question because it brings up a, uh, a story. I remember um, the New York Times had a front page article about my dad um, and Left Behind several years ago. 
And the opinion of the, of the New York Times was that Left Behind was doing damage to the earth because readers, because they believed that the rapture was coming soon, that they didn't care about the environment and didn't care about the earth. So he was doing that thing that we talked about last week, which is making assumptions about what people are thinking. Yeah. And that's what Twitter trolls love to do is, you know, I've, I've, I've had assumptions made about me a lot. So they were assuming what my dad was doing and what Christians were doing and book readers were doing. And so my wife who's really feisty and loves to defend. <laughs> she loves, she defends, she's very defensive of me. She defends my dad. Yep. Mm. And she wrote a letter. To, she wrote an email no to kidding. the author of that, uh, our, our New York Times article, and he responded. Really? And she was like, you don't know my father-in-law, and he's, you know, you don't understand his motives. And anyway, my dad just said, truth and time walk hand in hand. And that's mm. that didn't come from him. That's a common phrase. But he his patience and his willingness to be criticized. I mean, when the Left Behind books sold 70 million copies, uh, obviously they had lots of supporters. But there were pastors. There were books that were written about them, yep. criticizing them. They were on the mm-hmm. front page of Time magazine. There were plenty of articles slamming my dad. And he just didn't respond. He just mm. didn't care. Wow. Uh, he responded to his friends. He responded to his supporters. He responded to the people on his website. He, you know, but But when someone is opining off in the distance, someone he doesn't know, he can't control the reaction, and he taught yeah. me so much about that, about patience and about being willingness to the, the willingness to not get caught in the in the in the weeds of what people think about you. Yeah. and I've learned that over the years myself uh, to not have a fear of man, as the Bible talks mm, about. Yeah, that's and really that's good. what that is: is when you when you uh, are getting criticized and you it starts to bother you too much, or especially for a show like The Chosen, where ninety eight percent of the comments are positive. And then to get caught up in the two that are negative, yep, right. that's a fear of man. And yep. I don't care as much what men think or women think as I do about what God thinks. And that's what my dad taught me more than mm. anything. That's really good. It makes me think, too, because he, and I think it's getting harder and harder to actually like block out the noise yeah. because the noise seems to be more and more a central part of sure. our lives. Because I imagine even his close circle of friends, they weren't all yes men. There were probably people really close to him that criticized right. and offered feedback. Did you see him respond well when it was people in close proximity offering an opinion that was... Yeah, so kind and respectful and not defensive. That's a big thing, not treating every criticism like it's an attack. Yeah, and then, of right. course, sometimes you can just point at the scoreboard. <laughs> <laughs> 70 million people can't be wrong. There guys. You go. <laughs> so I can't do that quite yet because I'm not that successful, but one day I'll just point at the scoreboard. Yeah, you're getting there, man. As our, as our Lord would say. There you, the scoreboard. Scoreboard. there you go. <laughs> as our Lord would say. That's great. Well, Dallas, we love having you in here. Let's do it again next week. Thanks for taking the time. Uh, We really appreciate it. You've again been listening to Dallas Jenkins. You can go check out The Chosen at thechosen.tv. And it's Media Mondays. You forgot our title. Yeah, just Uh, trying to see. Yeah, that's right. Media (laughs) Mondays with Dallas Jenkins. We're excited to have you here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined as always. Uh, by Ian Simpkins. You can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show, online at 1160hope.com. And you can always text us at 68683. That's 68683. Well, over the weekend, uh, one of the major stories was the synagogue shooting at the Poway Synagogue in California. I hope I'm getting that name right. Uh, And you and I wanted to talk about it, but sometimes, Ian, we uh, want to talk to people who it hits a little more closely to home uh, and so we are thrilled to be joined right now by Joel Sims. Uh, Joel is an elder at the Olive Tree Congregation in Prospect Heights, Illinois. Joel, thank you so much for joining us today. 
Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. It's our pleasure. Uh, let's just start right there. As uh, we all watch the news of the shooting at the Poway Synagogue, and then you think back into October uh, at the shooting at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh. I'm just curious uh, your emotions and your feelings as, as you watch the news and you hear about these things going on. Well, you know, of course, this is this is a, a terrible thing, and it and uh, this has been happening not just in these two cases, but anti-Semitism has been rising throughout the world, mm. and now it's been getting closer to home, and people are just becoming more and more aware of it. Yeah. Mm. So, why why do you think that anti-Semitism is rising? Then is it is it just that media is growing in its reach, and we're just more aware of it, or? Is is hatred actually rising at a global level? Like, how how do you reconcile what you're seeing, both locally and globally? How how do you uh, how do you get there? Well, that's a really complicated question because it's so multifaceted. But the thing is, you know, there's a lot of things happening in this world today, and as always, somebody needs someone to blame for it. Mm. And you know, in World War II, the Jews were blamed uh, for for the poverty and for the way things were going in Germany. And uh, it became uh, very, anti-Semitism became very prevalent, very popular. Today in the world, um, things are just, are, are just so uh, crazy. Mm. Uh, you know, it, historically, Satan has always been against the Jews anyway, because he tried to prevent the coming of Messiah. You'll mm. actually see that in the book of Revelation, in times to come that, uh, you know, he's going to be released and he and he's going to go after the Jewish people. So anti-Semitism is not a new thing. It's been kind of um, put on the back burners for a while. But lately, with everything happening in the world and with wars and rumors of wars and everything else, the Jews are once again on the forefront of people to blame for what's going on. And as uh, as you're telling us that this anti-Semitism is rising, uh, would you say that even uh, in your community is um, are the fears rising? Uh, do things feel a little more tenuous and a little more fearful for you? Well, sure. You know, it used to be that that uh, whether in the Messianic or or just the regular Jewish community itself, people would walk around freely with uh, Jewish symbols around their necks, the Star of David or what's called a Chai which is a, a sign for life, and you don't see that that much happening today. As a matter of fact, in, within the Christian community, you don't see as, as many religious symbols around people's necks either, because um, now the religious community in America is, is the enemy, and it's right in the face of socialism and just the rising tide of atheism that's going on in the world. Oh, that's interesting. But one of the stories that I had read was that the rabbi who was shot uh, continued his sermon despite his injury, telling worshipers that were there to, to remain strong. Does, does that story surprise you at all? Or um, like, what can we learn from, from even that small glimpse into like a much, a much bigger tragedy that a, a, a rabbi, even amidst his injury, continuing the sermon and telling those present to remain strong? Well, what it does, what it says to me is that God is faithful. Mm. He's always promised to pr- to uh, protect protect a remnant, and that um, this is the time to to be strong. It's not a time to bow or or to um, just hide in the corner. This is a time to stand up for what's right, because people are looking for leadership and they are looking for 
something to believe in, yeah. and not just to give up. Hmm. And so, um, talking to you and knowing about your synagogue, you're actually a, a Messianic uh, uh, Jew. So I'm wondering, what does that look like? Could you help educate our listeners as to what Messianic Judaism is um, and how that might differ from classical Judaism? Well, yeah, certainly. What it is is, is that we, as, as Messianic Jews, we celebrate all the holidays and, and we consider ourselves, we, we haven't converted and we haven't sold out our faith, but we believe that we are what's called biblical Jews. Today, a lot of Judaism is traditional because the temple's gone and the sacrificial system is gone, hmm. but we take Scripture very, very seriously and very, very literally. So um, we believe that our standing as Messianic Jews is really what God has meant for his people all along. The fact that um, that it's not a matter of, of do's and don'ts that makes us right with God, but it's, it's always been a matter of doing things his way. Mm. And so it's always been um, um, his provision for us. So that we could have a relation, a right relationship with Him. So coming to faith in Messiah, we believe that that the what we call the Old Testament scriptures um, always spoke of the Messiah that was to come, and we believe that Messiah is Jesus, the Messiah. Mm-hmm. We call Him Yeshua Hamashiach. So somebody had told us actually that your uh, conversion actually came through reading the Old Testament. And I feel like this is a question, you know, because Brian and I are both pastors. And a question that I get a lot is, um, why do some in the Jewish community see Jesus as this Messiah, the fulfillment of prophecy, and, and some don't? And your it sounds like your faith journey is a really fascinating one. Can you talk to us a little bit more about what you were just what you were just sharing about how, how you came to this conclusion, particularly through the Old Testament? Well, sure, I'd be happy to. First of all, you know, if you if you try to talk to most Jews today, most non-monal Jews uh, about Jesus, they'll they'll tell you all the same thing. Jews don't believe in Jesus. Thank mm-hmm. you very much, but Jews don't believe in Jesus. Mm-hmm. But there was a gentleman that I was working with. This was back in 1979, who was trying to tell me about the Lord, and and I you know I gave I said the same thing. I said you know, Jews don't believe in Jesus. That's always what I've been taught, and it's. You know, and he said, but you know what? He said that the Old Testament, your Bible, the Jewish Bible, talks about the coming of the Messiah and, and really talks about how we can be right with God. And it's through God's provision, mm-hmm. through what he's done for us. I said, well, you're going to have to prove that to me. So he, brought, uh, he would bring the, the Bible on cassette tape back in the day when there was cassette tapes. Right. <laughs> he'd, bring, he'd bring it. He'd bring the Bible on cassette tape, the Old Testament, and I would carry a little Sony Walkman on my belt with an earphone. And while I was working all day long, I'd listen to Scripture, wow. the Old Testament. And just from my knowledge of movies like King of Kings and Jesus of Nazareth and stuff, I said, boy, if, if this isn't talking about Jesus, I don't know who this is, because it spoke of somebody coming and some and suffering and, and dying for our sins. Isaiah 53, so clear about somebody coming and taking our sins upon himself. Hmm. I said, this has to be Jesus. From what I understand the scripture, this is Jesus. So my next question to this gentleman, whose name was Curtis, I said, Curtis, if I accept this Jesus, am I going to stop being Jewish? Hmm. And he laughed. He goes, no. He says, this is what 
God has always been for the Jewish people. Wow. But the, but the thing is that most Jewish people today, most, do not take the Bible literally. So um, that that's really a big a big problem because if you don't take it literally, if you take it as a bunch of nice stories, then you can read anything into it, or you right. can read any kind of application into it. Right. But uh, Curtis was very very helpful to me. And then the next thing he always said to me, he says, you know, Joel, my whole church is praying for you. Mm, wow. And I was so choked up. I'm like, Curtis, why would anybody do that for me? Oh, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's just so touching. And so um, long, the long and the short of it is I have never given up my identity as a Jew. Mm. But, I, but, you know, uh, I'm a completed Jew. I'm one who, who has understood what, what God has meant for his people. He's always promised to protect the remnant. I'm one of them, praise the Lord. Hmm. And it's it's our joy anytime we can we can share that with other people, Jew or Gentile alike. Yeah. Joel, thank you so much. This was uh, so inspiring, if you will, to especially that end that you talked about there. We're super grateful uh, the way you helped educate us, but also inspire us. So uh, thank you again for joining us today. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. That was Joel Sims. He is an elder at the Olive Tree Congregation in Prospect Heights. Well, you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. And that music can only mean one thing. It is the end of the show. Time to, time for our disclaimer. Mm. <laughs> we don't know what we're about to read. Not at all. We don't know if it's mildly inappropriate or wholly in, inappropriate or <laughs> only funny. Can that be the name of the show? Wholly <laughs> inappropriate? <laughs> but every day we like to end the show just with some crazy stories that our uh, executive producer... Uh, Keith Conrad is found on the internet, and then you and I thought it would be fun if we just would read them sight unseen. So that's what we're going to do. You go first, my man. Okay, we also don't know the sound effects, just we don't, uh, we don't additional disclaimers. So uh, if you're offended by any of this, Keith Conrad can be found at Keith Conrad at Salem Media. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. Okay, California. Apple Watch lost in the ocean, found six months later, still works. Yes, that's good. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about like plugging Apple, but I'm going to do it anyway. Do it. A California man who lost his Apple Watch while body surfing in the ocean said it was returned to him six months later and it still works. Robert Bainter said he was at Huntington Beach about six months ago and he caught a big wave. A huge wave came and you know, I was loving it, rode it, and then picked up my arm and I was like, Oh my God, I, what just happened? What is this voice? What did but, just happen? That's what surfers sound like, isn't it? No, I was just trying to give some drama to the story. Boehner recalled to KTLA-TV of the moment he noticed the Apple Watch was gone. Basically, he found it six months later, and it still works. Okay, it's $500. You have no choice of carrier. The battery can't hold a charge, and the reception isn't very... Shut up and take my money! <laughs> Futurama, which is not the same as Simpsons, but it's not same, oh, same creators. Along the lines of Avengers and Game of Thrones, I've never seen a Futurama. Oh, no. I'm starting to realize I don't watch really like anything other than sports, and my kids now like reality TV and the Disney Channel. It's about all that happens. That sounds, about, sounds about right. Yeah, it's... Not unexpected. I Arizona. <laughs> Arizona Poli- And I watch The Chosen. Y- yes, Arizona. you do. Wait, isn't it called TheChosen.tv? <laughs> Arizona police bust HOV lane driver with a dummy passenger. Oh, this happened in New Jersey oh, when I lived there, too. Police in Arizona shared a photo of a driver caught cheating on the highway by using a dummy to fake a passenger in the carpool lanes. 
<laughs> the Arizona Department of Public Safety tweeted photos showing a man pulled over by police when they noticed his passenger in the high occupancy vehicle lane was a mannequin dressed as a human woman. The tweet said the man was pulled over on State Route 202. Another one busted. Don't let this be you. A driver was cited for HOV lane violation for having a dummy masquerade as a passenger. You could learn a lot from a dummy. (laughs) Buckle your safety belt. Uh, Does anyone else find it strange, though, that the Arizona Department of Public Safety is tweeting these photos out? That's to keep everyone else from not doing that. There's the old HOV lane in New Jersey when I was growing up, and they used to hear these stories all the time. Oh, really? Yeah, putting fakes in them. That's so funny. All right, Idaho. Giant potato sculpture converted into big Idaho potato hotel. That's That's the weirdest sentence I've read in a long time. A giant potato sculpture built to promote Idaho's spud farmers is being converted into the Big Idaho Potato Hotel, a single-room accommodation. The Big Idaho Potato Sculpture, which measures 28 feet long, 12 feet wide, and 11 and a half feet tall, was constructed by the Idaho Potato Commission to mark its 75th anniversary in 2012 and was taken on tour for seven years to promote the crop, and it is now being used as an Airbnb. It's being used as an Airbnb. Isn't that great? That is awesome. Where would you like to stay? I don't know, in a giant potato. Yeah, is that supposed to be romantic or there's a there's a pun here somewhere. Go for it. Uh, I don't know what it is. Come back to me. Something about an eye. Mm. You are my. Aren't there eyes and potatoes? Am I even remembering that correctly? (laughs) I don't think so. (laughs) Texas burglars breaking into Best Buy. Butt dialed 911, police say. Whoa. Two men were arrested early Saturday after one of them accidentally dialed 911 while they were breaking into a Best Buy. <laughs> the pair allegedly stole several laptops and other electronic items from the Best Buy early Saturday. Police say the three suspects entered the big box electronics store, tripping the alarm at around 3 a.m. At the same time, dispatchers received a 911 call from a phone in the area, but no one could be heard on the line, just background noises. Authorities pinged the cell phone and determined the signal was coming from the Best Buy. When police arrived on the scene, the three suspects fled the area and led the police on a 40-minute chase. No. He somehow butt-dialed 911. They put it all together. Officers were already en route to the alarm call when they got the other 911 call. That was really stupid. (laughs) I have another story for a later time about when my brother accidentally butt-dialed my mom while we were doing something illegal. And, uh... (laughs) Remind me of that later. I'll tell you another segment. All right. Last but not least, no Florida again today. Oregon. Oregon man uh, fundraising to launch remains of his dead cat into space. (laughs) A kooky space fan is uh, launching the remains of his pet into space as a part of his bizarre final farewell. Steve Munt of Oregon is determined to raise more than $5,000 to make his, uh, his orange tabby Pikachu the first cremated cat to enter orbit. He's asking strangers for help via GoFundMe page where he can send they can send him cash to fund his very, very important mission. The cosmic ballet goes on. <laughs> I gotta be so honest, good. I'm kinda proud because I sent Keith this one. Oh, look that at you. That feels like a good one. That, does, that was I a really good one. I still have a pun, though, for your potato house. If you have a pun, Texas 68683, CG, and then your potato pun. There you go. You never give the text line except for the pun. That's right. That's good. <laughs> well, it's been a good day. A lot of good interviews, and it's been enjoyable despite the rain out there. We hope you've had a good time with us. You, for Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. This has been The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.